Welcome to the Positively Practical Podcast, an adventure in learning with me, Lydia Krupp. This podcast will focus on all the ideas, discussion topics, thoughts, learning opportunities that I come across in my current position in instructional technology. Welcome back. This week's guest is the person responsible for this season existing. She mentioned in a virtual PLC that as a kindergarten teacher, one online this year because of the pandemic, she felt that the parents at home were lacking appropriate support and expectations for what their role is in the education of their children. This got me thinking, well, what were the expectations and what, where was the support we had for them? And so here I am making this season of the podcast in hopes of discovering how best to support what we ended up calling learning coaches. So enjoy this week's interview with Karen Fegley. Okay, my name is Karen Fegley and I'm a 16 year veteran of teaching basically kindergarten. I did teach one year in second grade. Um, I also have a background because when I graduated from college in the early 90s, there was no teaching position. So I moved to Seattle and ended up working in the high tech firm in the big um, dot-com boom, I guess you call it. And so I have a huge technology background back at the beginning of kind of when everything really started to spread with Microsoft and um, Apple. And then decided that I really love teaching and I was um, wanting to get back into teaching and new in Seattle. There was no way there, um, they don't pay very well, believe it or not, in, on the, in Seattle due to other reasons. But, um, I moved back to Tulsa where I taught, um, about two years in Tulsa. And then my husband was, um, got a job in Texas. So that's how I ended up in North Texas. I, um, taught majority at Frisco and, then I moved to Frisco for, or to Prosper, and then now I'm in Richardson. And I have always wanted to bring more technology into my classroom, but prior to COVID, there really wasn't a lot of time. So because of COVID, I've become very fluent in school use of technology. I, because I am a virtual teacher this year, which to me, even though I have six year, 16 years experience, I do feel like a first-year teacher teaching um, because I'm kind of figuring out as we go. Um, it's funny, one of the questions you were asking is about how I felt about technology and at-home learning prior to COVID, and I don't know that my views necessarily changed. Um, I'm not a real, I think homeschooling children, I see some advantages if it's done right and the parents are really involved in it and are really going the extra mile, but I don't see the average parent being able to homeschool their child and really give them as much as a school setting is going to give them. And I see that true in virtual learning. Today, like my parents who are really actively involved and are doing the activities and, and taking everything I'm providing for them and giving it to their kids, their kids are thriving in virtual. And um, parents who are less involved, their children are struggling. Interesting. And, yes, you did, yeah, because we, we've chatted about this, this whole idea mm-hmm. of just this culture of online learning and, and the parents' part in that. So, so you and you see it firsthand. So when you say you're a virtual, that means every one of your students is learning from Correct. home. Is that going to be changing soon for you? 
Not for me. I even, um, I've never been under 27 kids on my virtual classroom. So, and I lost two starting this next night, nine weeks, and I gained two. So I'm not, I would, I think 27 is too much because there's, it's hard to maintain contact with 27 families. Um, I think if I was at 22, the normal classroom size, it would be a, it'd be a lot easier for me. I'd have more time for small group. It, classroom size to me is, is the key to anything in education. If you give teachers too many kids, it's really hard to maintain that close bond with them. I agree. I agree completely. Um, I, and so it is interesting, just even those five or six extra kids, the difference it can make. Um, so you've already mentioned that you do like the idea of tech, and you said beforehand, before we started doing the sheltering in place in the spring and all that, there wasn't really a lot of time for technology in the classroom. Why do you feel that was? It wasn't that there wasn't time for it. There wasn't – I didn't have as much time to investigate it. I used it, but not like I use it today. I've always used it in my classroom but I was just scratching the surface of things for me to do with my kids. Going on, if next year I'm in person, my kids are going to have a totally different experience technology-wise for me because I know so much because I learn by doing. And mm -hmm. because I've been forced to come creative on that technology side, things I kind of just dabbled in, now I really understand and can use very fluently. That makes sense, and that you actually are what I was hoping would happen. Um, I know it's terrible that it was a pandemic that did this, but right. I was hoping more teachers would have – they wouldn't have – they really shouldn't have a choice. You had to learn this stuff quickly now, but to kind of see how this could continue on in the future when kids are coming back to school. So that actually is, is – that makes me hopeful that more teachers will feel that way. So your your own – so I know that I know that you are doing virtual. I know that there's right. also co-seeding in your district. Your campus in particular, is there going to be co-seeding, or were they just determined to we're, stay virtual? We – well, in, in my grade level, I'll speak for my grade level, um, we have two virtual teachers, one's bilingual, one and then me, and then we have three that are face-to-face -face teachers that have two kids in the class. So in my campus, they chose to pair one of us off to be the virtual teacher and the other kids. Now, I do know they're do doing co-seeding in some of the other grades, but I think in the upper grades where you have, like, you only teach English or you only teach math, it's a little easier to say, okay, this math class is virtual, this math cl class is in person. It's a little easier to do that where I don't have – it. I do not – to be honest, see how I could benefit any child by doing co-seeding in kindergarten. That's a very good point. <laughs> it's a very good point. And, so then, and, um, I, and I think if they did ahead, come to me and ask me, I think I might say no. Because I just don't, I think from an ethical standpoint and what I believe in what children need for education, it, it wouldn't work. There's no way. I just don't think either one would get the best of me. They'd get such a there's already so much taken away from the virtual children and then to take my attention away on top of it because I'm having to work with kids in the classroom by myself. I just can't do that with five-year-olds. That's just too much to ask of a person. So then, so that's all you experiencing this as a teacher. What about as a parent? What are some things like for your own children or um, um, well, in my case, 
I have, I do have a child in school. He's in fifth grade and he, um, he is ADHD. So that's already a struggle for him at school anyways. And he was homeschooled, you know, in the spring and during the summer, we talked a lot about with him and he did not like virtual learning. It wasn't something that could keep his attention. And he asked to go back to school. And in our situation, if I was at home, then I would be the one helping them. But my husband, who does work from home, he doesn't have the attention, the mindset, um, the patience to work his job and keep up with my son. So it was for us, it was, well, he has to go home or I can't work. And sure. um, with everything going on to me, I think me being in a classroom, be, even being virtual is too important this year for me to be there for the kids. Sure. And, and that, that is, I think, in a small school and we're lucky. He's, he's fine. Right. Well, okay. Well, and that's the thing, too. I think being a teacher parent, it's hard because we want to be there for our students, but then we also have our own children, right? And having exactly. to support both is really tricky. So in the spring, then, was it easier, even in a remote emergency situation, for you to support your son, or were you just, did you still feel the strain of being both? Well, in the in the spring, we taught very differently. Um, I didn't do, because at that in my district in the spring, my kids didn't all have devices. So um, it was not, I didn't do, like, virtual meetings with my kids. Everything I did was recorded and put on Seesaw for my kids to watch. So um, in the spring, like, him and I both sat at the same table and worked together. So it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't that difficult for me to maintain with him over the spring because it was different. But now I teach. I'm live um, about two, two and a half hours a day. I'm live with my kids where I was not doing that in the spring. Because my kids currently, they all have an iPad at home. The district provided them with an iPad. So they all have technology and are able to get on a, a Zoom meeting. Okay, so then, um, and so if your son's in fifth grade, is he synchronous and meaning he has to be on all day, or is his situation similar to yours where you get a short amount of education, but then, uh, not, not a short amount of education, I mean, you get a short amount of direct teacher instruction, and then the rest is asynchronous? For my classroom, yeah. For him, he's in person, so it's 100% in person. Oh, that's right. You said that. In person. Sorry. I, I was still thinking the first few weeks no. when we were all at home. They did have a situation at his school where the three fifth grade teachers had to be quarantined but were not sick. So they had subs in the classroom while the teacher um, zoomed one-on-one onto their Chromebooks. Because at his school, everyone has a Chromebook, too. So he, for the last two weeks of school before break, he had a sub in his classroom, but his teacher would talk with him on his Chromebook. And they did that – Okay, well, you said he had had difficult time with the online learning in general in the spring, right? just wasn't his thing. Right. Same for uh, my youngest did not do well with online learning. But was that hard, even though he was going to school? Did he, the last couple weeks, were they kind of hard because the teacher was back to essentially remote teaching? Um, Not so much because I think they were still at school and they still had that adult in the room helping them. And so um, it's, it's, it's just they and they already do so much work on the I mean he's because he has a, a Chromebook at school, they do a lot of work on the Chromebooks. 
So I don't think it, it was just a different way to do it. And one of the benefits to being a virtual teacher is if something happens, I can technically do my job from home. I prefer to do it at school because all my materials are there, my coworkers are there, my support network is there, but I can do it at home if I had to. Right. But if you were at home, you would also have that dynamic of trying to help your son as well if that was the case. So, right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, then, um, so you're, you're just covering all sorts of interesting things. I love it. It's fascinating <laughs> for me to hear the perspective. I, I love it. Um, but we're going to go ahead and do, because I think this is going to really get into the meat of what you and I discussed, which is why your name came into my head when I thought of doing this season of my podcast on parent involvement, teachers, and all that for at-home learning. Um, so we're going to do a glow and a grow. Um, so what is one thing you think your district or your campus or a particular um, coworker, you or whatever, has done well during this time? Um, I think my campus has been really supportive of us virtual teachers. Like, I feel very supportive. And um, they've asked me, what can I do to help you, as opposed to giving me a laundry list of things that I must do. Because they understood my experience, I'm still going to take that experience that I do in a regular classroom. And they kind of helped me make sure I could, you know, I try to do as much as I can to make the children have as regular a class setting as possible. And I think it's helpful that my district hasn't just been, because I do have friends who are in other districts, and the districts are still pushing so much um down and teachers are like, wait, we're just trying to figure out how to get along with what we're doing now. This is all new for all of us, and we're not sure what's the best. We don't need a bunch of new curriculum, new, you know, all this new stuff right, right. now. How do we help these kids virtually? And I think that's been sure. really supportive in my building and helpful. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear that because I do know – some places it's very district mandated stuff and some places very right. campuses can make their own decisions and so to know that the campus is supporting you in that way is great. Um, so then what is a grow? What is one thing you hope your your district or campus reflects on and changes moving forward into this next semester? Um, unfortunately this my the one thing that bothers me the most, which is not even a campus, it's it's a state, it might be a, a federal issue, is the fact that we're not really making the parents do much to count for school. Like, for instance, my kids can be counted present at school if they show up to my meeting in the morning and do nothing else the rest of the day. There's not a lot of accountability to the parents, but that's not my district's fault. I don't really know who, if that's if that stops at Greg Abbott and it's him not mandating more of our parents or if it's a federal not mandating more. But I think if we expect kids to be at school by 7.50 or they're tardy and there's truancy, why aren't we expecting a little bit more of our parents at home to make sure that if they did commit to virtual school, they do know it's got to be more than five minutes, you know, a day. And I think that that, because that wasn't really emphasized to the parents as, and we, and we've been told it's, you know, as long as they show up for something, they get it. And that part is one thing I think that could change that would, if we have to prolong this and, you know, next year or something, that we really need to say that even if your kid's at home, there has to be some 
a little bit stringent to getting credit for being there for the day. So do you think then that it's an, an, an awareness issue? Like maybe parents aren't sure exactly what their role is, or is it a, a presence issue in that parents want their kids at home but have to go off to work themselves? Well, you have kindergarten, so you're, most of your parents are probably right. around. I don't know if you have a lot of older siblings helping out, but um, – is it like an awareness? Like, is there an educational piece for parents you think might be missing, or is it all just expectations? I think, to, and, and, you know, I'm not the one who made the decisions. I don't think it was ex really explained to the parents. I don't think, like, my parents who are not are not doing the work, not keeping up with everything, I don't think it really was explained to them that that was their part, and they needed to do it to keep their child's the curriculum up. That not just showing up to one class, like, I think there's a perspective, like, well, we go to the meeting every morning, so we're good. And I think they don't understand how they are hurting their child by not having them participate in practice and things, especially at five. Again, it's right. kindergarten, and a lot of, you know, look at our state now. We still don't have kindergarten as a required grade. Yep. Even though mm -hmm. we teach things in kindergarten that if they don't get in kindergarten, they're going to struggle. No child can skip kindergarten and walk into first grade and do well. I mean, I'm sure there are children out there with that exception, but the average child is going to struggle in first grade because there's so sure. much that we now know that we need to teach in kindergarten, and yet we still haven't made it a man, man, mandatory grade. But yet we're pushing so much into kindergarten <laughs> for them to learn. And, you know, I, I have had parents, you know, they think kindergarten is just coloring. It's like, no. This is where we look, you learn how to read. This is really the grade you learn how to read and build those basic skills. And they didn't. Well, and I agree. And I and I think you know that's. I mean, that's what's led me here is just this idea of maybe it is a thing that we didn't put some expectations out there. Like if you're choosing to learn from home as a, a parent or guardian, you you will have these responsibilities to make right. sure your student stays on top of it. But also I think it, it might be, like you said, some parents think kindergarten is just coloring. Like, well, maybe they don't, right. they just don't know. What exactly does a day in kindergarten look like? And that's kind of what I'm trying to work my way towards in terms of, you know, educating learning coaches essentially. Because mm -hmm. if they were to go to any online curriculum, like K-12 or Pearson or whatever, there are mm -hmm. distinct expectations that they have. And so right. um, with that, um, even if you want to think about now, again, you are a teacher, so you already knew kind of what what supports were out there. But as just a parent with your son in the spring, what do you wish you what support do you wish you'd been offered more of to help him even in that weird learning situation? I think that one thing that would help me is well, not, and not so much that help me, but it would help my husband, someone who doesn't know anything about education, would have been like a um, tutorial, maybe a video of explaining what was expected of our child to do each day, what kind of what the assignment should look like, where was you know just because for him being in fifth grade, the only thing we were told is what he told us that he right. had to do. Or we looked at his computer and tried to figure out what was his assignment. Because when I look at my husband, who's a non-educated person, not, not I won't take that back. He's highly educated, but he's you know he's not a teacher. <laughs> he's not a teacher, and and most parents are that way. If we would have sent a video saying, okay, this is what their day is going to look like. This is the thing you know they probably need to spend this much time on this 
you know, math and this much on reading and this is just a tutorial, I think, would have really helped. Um, okay, like, and even so, yeah, like, just better communication. Daily, like, right. hey, just make sure your kids are doing this, 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 and this by these times. So just better and more clear um, due dates right. or communication. And a video is helpful because you can watch that on your phone while you're brushing your teeth. You know, you don't have to be at a computer um, to pull that up. I like that. And it's, it's funny to me, too, because as far as um, – communication with parents I have more communication with my parents this year with all my parents because I talk to because in reality I am teaching to parents as long as, as I'm teaching with kids I have siblings right. you know I'm a teaching to a much bigger audience than I ever thought I would be teaching to in my lifetime because there's a lot of people in the background when I'm teaching but I just think sure. that if, if there would have been you know when parents when they were saying okay virtual or in person if you're virtual this is what it's going to be like and I think they should have committed to it to the whole year. I'm not a real big fan of this every nine weeks kids coming and going um, because I right. think that it, it, things are getting lost. And the, and the way I've been teaching is different than the way they've been teaching in class because they have their own hurdles to go over. They have completely different hurdles than I do. I mean, they're dealing with screening and keeping kids away and mm-hmm. all kinds yeah. of stuff not, that we're not used to having to do. But I just I think it should have been more of a commitment to okay either you you want to do virtual or in person and not so and let them know what they were committing to and I don't think parents understood what they were committing to they were thinking oh well last spring it wasn't too bad they just had my computer for a few hours and they were done right and not saying no and I agree with that I think, uh, I think right oh, go ahead I'm sorry. Because, like, last last spring, we didn't teach them anything new. We had taught all of our mm-hmm. core curriculum because the springtime is really when they take everything they've learned all year and put it to work and show, and really right. learn how to apply it. So we weren't teaching new material to them. And it's very different when you have a kindergartner walk in the door who's had no nothing and you're starting from scratch and yeah. trying to keep some cohesiveness through their year. I agree, and I'm an add-on, I think, and I don't think it was just um, one district in particular, because I've seen this all over the place with people in oh, no. different districts. I think it was never defined well. You're right. It was. Right. I don't think anybody really defined that what happened in the spring is very different from what we were doing this fall, and so I think a lot of people fell on that, and so because we didn't say it's not just a menu, they turn it in by Friday, it's every day there's responsibilities, there's expectations, and there's a lot more involvement. I, you're right. I think that's kind of where this started. It didn't start on the best foundation, and so okay. now we are seeing those consequences. Um, however, I do uh, like that you do have – you mentioned that you're not just teaching the kid anymore. You've got parent in there or oh, yeah. older, older sibling. You've got a whole audience. And so mm-hmm. um, has that affected how you approach some – concepts with your kids no it doesn't because at the end of the day I'm teaching the five-year-old okay <laughs> that hasn't changed whether they're but I do um and I wouldn't say I've ever had a fear of public speaking or anything like that because I have spoken in public before but it definitely you know takes any little bit of fear you may have had about teaching away because everybody's seeing you and you just do the best you can and you just you you know 
at the beginning it was you, a little awkward, but now it's like it's just natural to me. It's it's no big deal that there's every now and then a mom might pipe pop in or something. Um, it's just part of virtual teaching. But at first, have you found yourself in a position where parents or guardians or whoever's helping is they may be overly involved and you've had to say something? Um, not really. Online, they've been pretty good about, I, I have some really, I mean, my parents are really supportive and they're, I mean, every now and then we have a, a loud TV, but I did find I was having some issues with a lot of noise in the background, you know, talking. And I did send, cause I, I was like, well, I've told them what the kids are supposed to be doing, but I need to send like a list of what should the parents be doing? So I did send like 10 things mom and dad need to be doing. And and I think a lot of them are like, oh, because they're like me. They didn't realize just because a kid has a headphone on, we still hear everything in the background. Right. You can't hear what the kid is hearing, but guess what? Everybody on the Zoom hears everything that's in the background of your house. And I think some parents didn't realize that, and that was something I wanted to let my parents know. Hey, you know, we hear it all. <laughs> I mean, my parents are really good about us not seeing anything inappropriate because most kids are sitting in a chair against the wall, which is a great place to be so that you don't have to worry about any unexpected scenes. But um, I think just letting them know what was expected of them, it really helped my parents. I love that you did that because that actually takes me to this next question, like what kind of support do you wish you could offer? It sounds like you're already doing a really good job of that, um, like just the 10 things mom and dad need to know because, again, it's that education piece, it's that expectation piece. They they didn't even think, oh, yeah, this TV can be heard through the, you know, through the, the class. So I love that you did that. What else have you been doing to help those parents kind of understand their role or do you wish you could do but maybe resources are tight or whatever? Well, I know one thing, and I've done this from day one. I every two weeks I send stuff home because one, they're five, and I think you can't teach a five-year-old just on an iPad. They have to use their fine motor skills. So I did. I do send packets home every two weeks, which I love because my kids have books now, and they have paper, and they have pencils, and they have things to do outside of the iPad, and they just take pictures of it for me. Um, I, my parents are now recording their kids reading for me and little things like that, that really helps. Cause I feel the one, a hard part for me is I never see the kids doing the work. So it's not like I can step in when they're doing it. Oh no, do it this way. Do it that. You know, I, I don't have any of that interaction, which I normally do as a teacher. So I'm having to do a lot, um, a lot of it with my parents and like my seesaw activities, I always kind of type a message to my parents like, okay, when you're teaching this, you know, I give the kids a, a, a lesson that I verbally give to my kids, but then I kind of always put it in the top of my seesaw lesson, like parents, this is what we're doing today. This is a topic. Hey, you know, you might try this with your kids and stuff like that. I try to give that little insight to my parents along with my seesaw activities. So my seesaw activities are not totally child driven there is some parent um, information given to kind of help them along. I think that's great. And, and it, yeah, just bringing those parents in to be part of the learning and going forward, even you had mentioned at the beginning how you're going to bring this, some of the tech aspects into your classroom once we're all back mm -hmm. in, in the classroom, but just even how your parents are involved, that could keep going too. And that would help, you know, just down the road in general with them supporting their child learning. So I think that's fantastic. The parents, 
Now, you said for the most part your parents are there, and they're very supportive, and they're great at that. The ones that you are – it's more of a challenge to get a hold of, uh, do you have – like, what have you tried with them in tr- to get them to be that supportive piece for their students? Well, I always try to find out why. Like, I have one child who um, I found out was – they had uh, a babysitter that was with them because they, ha- they own their own business. They have to go to work. So they have a babysitter um, with their child. And so once we figured that out, then she was like, oh, I didn't realize he wasn't. So I kind of let her know if he's not getting on because, you know, she's doing her job. She doesn't know if the babysitter, if he's done what he's supposed to. So that kind of communication has helped. Um, Being aware of the child's situation, if they're with, um, like you said, some are with grandparents. Some are with, you know, older brothers and sisters. Because our community, you know, their parents have to go out to work or they're not going to have food on the table. And so you have to give grace to these parents who are trying their best. Um, And sometimes making them aware. I think the biggest thing is just letting them be aware of what's going on and, hey, you know, they've missed this. And, you know, and I spent a lot of communication at the beginning of the year just getting my kids and my parents up on the devices. I mean, probably the first three weeks of school, I was an IT person. I spent most of my calls to my parents was trying to get them. It would be nice if we had a little uh, easier system for parents to get on. I don't – it just seems really difficult for them to get on to everything. Um, I think it was confusing to tell them to go on the Seesaw, but they couldn't go on on the icon on the iPad. They had to go into class link. So some things like that, if we could have eliminated and made it a little more seamless for the parents. Um, I definitely think that if we would have had the iPads at school first and as a teacher, we logged them and got them all set up and then sent them home would have made it a lot easier for the parents. Um, right. so a lot of it just was the communication is trying to find out where my, where was my child, who, who is the guardian behind my child and knowing who I needed to talk to if there was a problem too. Cause I have some grant, I have a couple awesome grandparents that, are participating in this scenario and helping out because I think that's, that's what's great. happening in these families. You know, everyone's helping each other out. Sure. Um, and I like that you brought up like the, the little things that might make it more seamless in the future. And mm-hmm. of course, it's, we're all learning these things too, right? We look back and we're like, yeah, we probably should have done it, you know, X, Y, and Z, and then it would have been ready to go, or we need a system here. So just anything and everything to make it easier to just, turn on and get going and you're right if they'd been you know if we'd been able to set them up in person first but I think um going home in the spring yeah. like we did make it hard to <laughs> get it all back well, my together. Kids, but see my kids are new to the school district see the first graders already knew how to use their iPad because they've been taught sure kindergartners have never been on an iPad before so in kindergarten we could have set their computers up before they came and got them so do you think mm-hmm. then there's a there and I don't know because I know curriculum tends to get full too, um, whether you're in person or um, virtual, but is there a piece in there to start building in like beginner iPad for kindergarten? Like, is that something you think should happen or just something that has to happen naturally in the classroom? Well, it has to happen in the classroom regardless. So um, in, in my district, in my class, I don't think we'd get a lot of preschool stuff. I think if we could get our parents to come in and do pre-anything, it would be assessment. So we had a better um, vision of what our group of kiddos knew when they walked in the door. But as a teacher, um, 
take a deep breath and really start looking at what do we want our kids to know? Really what right. do we want them to know? What's really going to make them successful in life? And maybe we are putting too much on them and we need to stretch it out a little bit and rethink what's really important for a 21st century kid. Is And yeah. I don't know that answer. No, and I That's agree. I agree 100%. Yeah, all the things, like what what they need to know. And you're right, and I think that's a big hurdle, too, convincing educators that, you know, the iPad isn't just for games, right? There is a creation right. aspect, and it can be for learning. And um, getting past that, you're right, like what skills do these kids need? And you're in an interesting spot because the skills you already were teaching your kids are those introductory, hey, reading, math, and functioning in society. Because if they didn't have, come from a pre-K background, this right. is probably their first interaction in any type of structured day. So right. it is interesting when you have to start bringing all those skills together. And um, mm-hmm. I just think you're doing a beautiful job. I, I know how hard you're working. <laughs> and, uh, I don't really feel like hard with that. I think you're the, doing great. There's a flip side, too, because there's a part of me that, you know, I worry that we can't do too much technology, too, because I think – Kids have, I mean, technology, all the technology we have is very already done for us so much as even the stuff that they build with, that they, I worry about kids not having blocks to, you know, like we need to learn to mm-hmm. balance both because I, I, luckily I have, my daughter's an engineer and my son will probably be one, my husband's one. I will not have any teachers in my family, unfortunately, <laughs> one, but, they build all the time. My son loves computers and he's obsessed with it, but he also loves building with Legos. And I feel like, especially in the community and the population we have, our kids have so little of creative time just building. And because I think they need the hands, that's why I send stuff home because they need a lot of hands on with the computer. And I don't want us to go too far to the other stream where everything they do is on the iPad because right. I think that's. There's some, you know, there's, that's already done for them. It's very stimulating, and it doesn't get their creative going as much as when they're given a stack of blocks and told to build something. They have to kind of – there's less – more thinking for them to do. And I don't want to see it go to the other extreme either. I, I want us to – that's why I said I think we really need to sit down and think about what do our kids really need um, to be successful because I worry that if we don't have enough – kids that are doing those building places, building and creating and getting that open, who's going to be building our buildings down the road? Who's going to, if there's no interest in that too. It's like, we gotta, we kind of can't forget they're still a children and they need that full range of activities. I agree. I think that's wonderful that you're keeping that in mind too. um, Even in these weird teaching circumstances um you have done a fabulous job i haven't had to really probe much you're doing great um sharing your thoughts and and the everything which i knew you would because i know you're well. I always have an but is there anything else <laughs> is there anything else you'd like to share that i haven't asked about well you know something uh, sitting here talking to you and thinking about some teachers i've talked because i talk to everybody i'm i can talk to a, a street pole if i needed to but um, and asking them, and it's funny. There are some kids that virtual is a good learning for them, but again, it's mm-hmm. it's connected to the school, and especially like there's kids who are very shy, who at school would be very intimidated. That through 
the computer, and again, they have that parent support, have come out a lot more that may not have in the classroom, too. So there are some benefits to virtual, and it, it may be something down the road that that might be an option for parents. I don't know. I think it can be done well, but again, it's one of those things where it has to be the parents have to understand they're the backbone of it. All right. Well, thank you um, for oh, – I know we had some tech issues, um, but hopefully this will work. If not, this was a great conversation. It just solidified how wonderful I already think you are. And, um, <laughs> All right. Talk to you later. Bye. All right. Bye. I'm always in a good mood after talking with Karen. She is just so full of passion and life for her students. I know as long as our teachers online keep holding on to that passion, our students are in good hands regardless of where we are in curriculum or on a timeline of learning or whatever. Because with that kind of passion, students truly know that they are loved and cared for. So again, ugh, I just love talking to Karen. She's the best. One thing she said that I really, really want to hold on to is this idea that when we put an assignment out there, make sure and maybe put a few directions for the parents. I don't mean to tell them how to do the math problem or how to read something to a student, but more like what kind of materials or questions could they ask or what kind of support might the student need? Just giving the parents a head up. This actually would work well with all, all students in all learning situations to involve the parents or guardians or learning coaches or whoever so that they can be more proactive in their children's education. Join me next week as we have a new guest and continue to discuss what we can do to help those learning coaches. Thank you for continuing to join me as I explore through the creation and sharing of this podcast. Feel free to check out my blog at positivelycroup.blogspot.com. That's positively, C-R-O-U-P-E, so positivelycroup.blogspot.com. Or feel free to connect on Twitter. My username is at educroup, E-D-U-C-R-O-U-P-E, at educroup. I look forward to connecting and hope you will join me again.